Nikki Smith is an entrepreneur, business strategist, and empowerment coach. I had the pleasure of meeting Nikki Smith at Premier Orlando this summer, and everything that she was talking about was just amazing. And you may know her as Knowledge by Nikki, uh, the brand and platform that she's built. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. My name is Robert Hughes, and I'm your host. Today, I'm with Nikki Smith of Knowledge by Nikki. Nikki, how are you today? I am fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Cool. Um, well, like I said, uh, it was great to meet you in person and like make this connection. And uh, we had that com- we had a conversation over the phone prior to meeting or before meeting this, uh, creating this meeting. And um, I just love the, the conversation, the talk. And uh, I'm so happy and grateful that you decided to come on the show. So thank you. And thank you for inviting me, Robert. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, I think I guess the we should start off by like, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? How did you get into? Uh, well, first of all, just for the audience who may not know you, know who you are, or not, or not know your story, um, just to like a little background. Are are you, you're a hairdresser? Is yes. that that's correct? Okay. So, 35. sorry. Thirty five years. Thirty five years. Okay. So. Nikki is a a person in our industry, not just a business person talking to hairdressers. She's actually a hairdresser. And and we're going to hear why you might want to think about listening to the things she says by hearing her journey. So, Nikki, why don't you go ahead and tell us like uh, your journey in in the hairdressing and then the this evolution that you've gone through into coaching and strategizing for businesses. All right. I'm going to start off by talking about, again, I want to say thank you, Robert. Uh, Any platform I'm given to to tell my story is a blessing and a privilege, and I don't take that lightly. So I am also, uh, again, glad to be here. Uh, About two years ago, I had the state of Illinois, which is where I'm from. They had a $50,000 grant that they were actually issuing for anyone that could tell them why they do what they do. So that was easy for me. And I, I'm, I'm starting with the end of the movie, so to speak, and then I'll go back. Perfect. I have been a person my entire life that has always felt like an alien. Uh, the, the people I wa- was around the from a kid on, I never, ever felt like I fit in anywhere. And it was ma- mainly because I had these big visions and goals that were always bigger than my surroundings. So as I made this essay for the state of Illinois, and by the way, I did get the grant. I learned as I transisted through the different phases of my life that I basically became the person that I never had. As a kid, I wanted to have someone I could throw my you know, ideas from and they wouldn't shoot them down or someone that could help me brainstorm when I got these crazy visions that are literally beyond the realm of even my resources. And I didn't have that. So I had everyone, family included, and it wasn't that they didn't love me and and, and want to believe in me, their vision just didn't go that far. So it forced me to be a loner. I was a loner for most of my childhood. I mean, I had great friends and stuff, but when it came to me really wanting to spend time, I found that I was my best company because my thoughts, I wanted to be able to kind of figure them out. So when I wrote the essay, basically I talked about uh, people with big visions, people that now are in life and and they have these ideas, they wanna pursue these business ventures and things like that, and they don't have any support at all. They don't have anyone coaching them and saying, do good work, you know, uh, uh, boosting them on, they don't have any of that. I 
became that person to other people that I never had. So let me give you the, the that's the short version. But as I was growing up, uh, I lived between two hairstylists. And this is where the business concept was birthed in me. I live what I call through, uh, between a new school stylist and an old school stylist. So one now is almost 90. And the other one is maybe in her early 70s. So I grew up watching two very different models of how to work. Both of them had multiple salons at one time. Um, I watched them like just the way they even operated within their salons. I actually, you know, would go to both of them. And what I realized about, I think I started professionally coaching maybe about eight years ago. And so the one still lives next to my mom. So I talked to her regularly and the other one moved away. But both of them now, and I'm talking the new school stylist was like seven figures. She actually was one of the first in Chicago that they had this 24 hours, seven, uh, 24 hours a day, seven day a week salon concept back in the day where the salon stayed open 24 seven. They were able to have workers that worked other jobs and was able to come in on different shifts. She was in that. She was one of the pioneers of that. And she was. I mean, easily in seven figures. Well, both of them now are just barely getting by. Both of them. With all the successes that they had throughout their lives. And the old school stylist is probably a little in a little better of a situation, but not able to what I call live it out after you've given 40, 50, 60 years to this business. And the other one, I talked to her maybe a couple of years ago and she made that statement to me that if it wasn't for her children, She'd probably be in a shelter. So I watched as two stylists or people that I looked up to, how did they get here? How did they have these successful careers? But the business side of what they did was totally non-existing. And so watching that as I grew up, it automatically made me know that there's something else I need to focus on other than just the technique. And so as I progressed through my industry, I had the advantage of working for several companies early on. And I tend to always want to talk to the directors, the chemists. I always was attracted to the people on the back, in the back office. I, I It was just a natural draw I wanted to talk to I wanted to meet with the directors of education and I wanted to understand how does this work when you do a hair show and you spend fifty thousand dollars before you even get to the show how does all of that work and so as I progressed through my career people like that took me under their wing they really did because I wanted to I could care less about just what we did on stage I wanted to know how do you put all this together I've always been very interested in the details of things so I was one of the fortunate ones that I didn't realize I was always in school to learn the back office because people would take me under their wing. And then about my I got married when I was 21 or two and I got married to my uh, first husband and we stayed together. Childhood sweetheart. We end up unfortunately divorcing after about 12 years of marriage. But his family and now we're talking about a black family that grew up with nothing, that had made a great life for themselves. I'm talking Christmas dinner. All they talked about was real estate, stocks, all of this. Now, I'm in this family from the time I'm 14 on, back you know, until we got married. And I didn't realize the seeds that were being planted and how I was taking all this in about, you know, how to do, do business 
and not necessarily how to just be a technique person. So I was in that family from 14 till I was like 35. And so indirectly, they were putting these ideas that life was bigger than just doing this, this and that. And if you really wanted to build a life for yourself, you had to have a strategy and you had to have um, a some money. So and then my mother was very much she wasn't a person that understood about investing, but she was a person that believed in good credit and saving your money. So I got these two these two groups of people constantly uh, reinstilling these values in me. So what actually happened, Robert, is once I take the idea of wealth building and then I take the other idea of having good credit and understanding about how to put money away and not spend it all. As I got older, you know, the Bible talks about train up a child and when he's older, he won't depart from it. So these are things I didn't even know I knew. I didn't even know they were resonating in me and dictating the way I went about my life. So it was almost a natural progression for me to take the, the skill set of hair, which I have loved since I was five years old. I was a neighborhood braider. People would let me, you know, back then we would do things like we couldn't afford hair color. So we would take peroxide, regular peroxide, and we would get the pack of Kool-Aid and we would create these colors and it, it was always in me. I loved hair. I now believe, though, as much as I love this industry, that that is just the gift God gave me to get to where he really wanted me to go. And, and I believe that because now I'm in all kinds of industries. It's way past hair. But I was always a student. All, whenever I was around people, I was the one when everybody wanted to go out and play. I wanted to listen. I love being around older people. I love being around people that I considered wise. They seem to know a lot. And I'm like, I love sitting under them. And I want to sit under the grandmothers and hear what they had to say. So ever since I was a child, I loved information. That's where Knowledge by Nikki came from. It was really about what I represented was I love knowledge. I love information. I love seeking information. When the information age was birthed in the 80s, when I was a lot younger, it was it was like the Internet was like the best thing to me since sliced cheese. And so I really wanted to always know more. And because I was forced to be a loner, it just allowed me honestly more time to read, to study. I studied people and. All of that brought me to, I knew I was going to have to start coaching at some point because I couldn't get away from people asking me to do it. For at least 20 years of my career, people have always, they, they watch my presentations, which would be about a technique, cutting, coloring, weaving, even at one time. And they would always say, do you coach people? Do you mentor people? Because every program I did, I, I had this thing I used to call sidebar. And anybody that came to my classes knew when I say sidebar, that means we're going to talk about something that is totally non-related to whatever it is that I'm talking about. And it would be these moments of wisdom of me sharing what I've learned of me kind of just giving them some 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 pep talks on if you're in this situation, how you can you know make it better. And I did that at every class. I honestly believe, even though I really am a great hairdresser, Robert, I really am. But I really believe that th those things were really the things that drew people to my classes. It wasn't just about what I did, but I always just talked to people. So that became something that I did. And uh, because of that, 
I don't care where, I mean, everywhere. Can you please, can I help you start a coaching program? People that don't know me don't realize that I'm really an introvert. They think I'm an extrovert, but I'm really an introvert. I'm what you call a social introvert. So when I'm not in, in on, so to speak, when I'm not on the stage, I really prefer soulless or very small groups of people. So every time I was asked about coaching and mentoring, I would just say, what does that mean? Do I have to deal with people all day? Do, hmm. Does that mean you call me whenever you... I didn't know what that meant. So I remember getting stuck in the Orlando airport. It was bad weather coming back from wherever I was coming from because I think I had went somewhere. I'd driven from somewhere, went to Orlando and was trying to fly back. But being stuck there, I had nothing to do but sleep, go get a massage, eat, and I re- this was in 2000, maybe eight or nine. And I remember saying, I have nothing else to do. So I'm going to, I didn't read as I read, but not as much as I do now. I remember saying, okay, I'm going to have to go buy a book and read. There's nothing else for me to do. And I remember the very first book that really changed how I read was John C. Maxwell, How Successful People Think. And it was a little bitty book that you literally could read in a couple hours. And I, I say this with, I cannot even express how much passion I have behind this statement that that book changed my life. That book, everything that it said was resonating with me because I wanted to get to certain levels of success. I just, again, I didn't have anyone. So I just didn't know how to, strategically make that what it needed to be in order to get there. So I'm reading this book. I read it in like two hours. That book, A, made me read a lot more. It's part of his one-on-one series. I got every single book John Maxwell ever written. And that book really helped me understand that to be successful was way beyond talent. It had nothing to do with talent. And so as I read that book, I knew that I had to put more energy into the business side of what I did. Uh, I now he teaches a lot of team building things. So I was able to say, maybe I can start helping people, getting them to, you know, fully understand what it means to be successful. It's beyond talent. As you know, most people in our industry think talent is the only thing they need to sustain their lives. And I'm constantly getting people telling me that they're very talented. They got full books. They never have, you know, time for walk-ins or anything, but they're broke. They're broke. Money is coming in and going out as fast and they're broke and they're depressed. And this started becoming the story when that class was over at whatever show people will pull me to the back or people will follow me to the bathroom because they just wanted to get my opinion on how to get out of their situation. So at this time, I knew that coaching was in my future. I just didn't know how near it was actually going to be. I was on a plane ride from New York to California. That's about six hours. And I was on a plane ride and on this plane ride, I got the vision to, okay, if I did a coaching program, what would it look like? And I remember writing out something. Now, this was years before I actually did it. I wrote out just, okay, what is it that I know and know well? I wrote that down. How would I deliver that to people? And I sat on it for about four years. And so August 27th of 2014, I believe, I went to a show that it's no show like it. It was called Mentorship Miami. 
And I knew it was time for me to do something. I just didn't know what, how that was going to represent itself. So this show probably had about 350, maybe, maybe more, 500 people. The girl did really a great job with this conference. And the conference was a Christian hair conference. So God was first. We did, we had prayer, we had um, revival, but it was a trade show. Vendors, classes, the whole nine. And it was the, the perfect mix of the two, spirituality, technique, education, financial help, all of this that everyone needs in the industry. So something different happened to me there, Robert, which is what propelled me into coaching. I started coaching three days later. I was doing classes. I always did. By this time, I'm doing mostly business classes. That's pretty much what I did. So she gave me my own room so I didn't have to move. I'm doing this class. Now, mind you, the classes start at 6 a.m. Now, hairdressers are not always on time. We know that. So it started at at 6 a.m. So I'm like, seriously, you mean to tell me people are really going to be in this class at 6 a.m.? I was an early bird, so it didn't bother me. And I remember coming to the class to set up at 5.30 a.m. And the class would be full. Wow. It was ready. And I was whoa. I was like, seriously? They're like, come on, we ready. You want to start early? And I'm (laughs) like, this unbelievable hunger that I saw for business. The way this conference operated was everybody had a colored armband, green, yellow, blue, like primary and secondary colors. You are supposed to be traveling with your group. So if I got people in my classroom, all of them should have the same armband. All day long, I got green, red, orange. I got people that ain't even supposed to be in here. And when I saw what took place, I started teaching. I mean, you're talking about tears. You're talking about people just bearing all transparent, like I don't know what to do. I'm talking about from getting divorces because of their finances not being right to losing businesses to you name it. And people are, and we're talking about a room that sat maybe about 80 people and everybody is just pouring out. I had never experienced that at that level at that point. So I, I'm hungry. I'm like, guys, I got to leave. They wouldn't leave. They literally would not leave the room. It was time to rotate. They would stay in there. Like we're not leaving. So I was like, I am so hungry guys. I haven't eaten. I've been in here since five 30 in the morning. Can I please go get some food? They didn't care. They still weren't letting me leave. So I look up and five of them have put their money together and they have bought, I'm in the Marriott in Miami, which is not a cheap hotel. They bought like a hundred dollars worth of food because they didn't know what I ate. And they brought all this food up to the room. Like we need you to stay here. So we just bought everything. I'm like, are you serious? So what was happening at this conference is I know now that it was, it was like God was letting me know it's time. It's time. So at the end, this is how this conference went all all the days. I, I had, they were sitting on the floor. There was no more room. And it wasn't that I wasn't used to having packed out classes, but not like this. It was just a very different everything about it. And I had been really struggling with how to start coaching and how to start doing social media. I ran from social media for years and people were like, you really need to do it. I'm like, leave me alone with that. I don't want to be bothered with social media. So by the end of this conference, it was August 27th of that year, out of 500, three to 500 people at this conference, she, the girl that's over, she said, I need maybe about 50 of you all to stand up and just to 
talk about your experience with this conference is 30 plus educators. When you have almost all 50 of those people direct their comments to you, like it's because of you that X, Y, Z. I don't think I've ever cried that hard. I didn't realize the influence that I had until that moment. And so I've always wanted to take what I do and deliver it to people and help them change their lives. It was September 1st of that same year. I already had the program. Remember, I had already written it, that I started that coaching group. I started with 100 people from that conference. And as they say, the rest is history. It started and it built. It took a life of its own overnight. And so what I did was I joined. I wasn't even, I didn't even have like an official coaching certification or any of that. I eventually did get it from IPAC. I eventually did go and get a real coaching certification because I realized that there were still a lot of things I needed to learn about people. I needed to understand how coaching programs are put together, how they're organized, where I need to go in order to get refueled when you're constantly putting out to other people. And so I can honestly say that I just became, to all those people, my coaching is extremely successful. I became that person to all those people that didn't have anyone to turn to to help them get to the successes they wanted. And so now I I totally feel like I am operating in my purpose. It's way past me. And I just look forward to where it takes me. So I'm just enjoying the ride right now. That's awesome. I love yep. that story. Yeah, that's- <laughs> um, so just to uh, get some background information, I have a, I like a bunch of questions. Uh, uh, one, um, how long were you doing? Uh, let me start over. Did you? Hmm, okay, yes. How long were you doing hair before you started? kind of that that because there was like a a part where you mentioned in your story where you started having these conversations with people while you were teaching teaching actual hair right and um so how long did it take from you getting into doing doing hair like as a job like as Mm -hmm. a or, or whatever like like what was your like just kind of high level the steps you took before you got to that point Well, I went through a phase that a lot of hairdressers experienced, and it was where I was almost going into burnout mode. Okay. I started teaching for companies in 97. Uh, I started doing hair in 88. So I remember in early 2000s, I was really getting burnout because I was, I had started and added this whole another layer where I'm having to fly out and go work here and there. But I'm and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I'm literally working five days a week doing anywhere from 17 to 25 people a day with three assistants. And I'm killing myself. How long did that that take to get to that point? Probably I started doing hair in 88. I had a full book within a year because I started at a really great salon that really helped their people grow. So we're talking about from 97, probably to about. 2003 ish. Okay. So about that six I am, I am, yeah, about five or six years or six that, because I always knew I wanted to teach, that I'm literally like, okay, I, I love what I do, but it's got to be a better way than this. This is killing me. And actually, I started 
Yeah, so from 88, to, so what is that, about 15 years or so? 88, something like that. So um, I, I really started feeling it at about the 10-year span. You know, I was like, okay, God, I'm not complaining because I, I had a waiting list. So I didn't have to worry about that, but I also wasn't good with my finances. So it also became a situation where now I got to work like this because I can't afford to step back because I got all these bills and this and that and the other. And so the, the collision that occurred with me trying to go into this other aspect of doing te- of teaching for the industry and then still trying to maintain a certain lifestyle because now I'm at the living at the top of what I can afford it really became an eye-opening message uh, or an eye-opening period with me when I almost got hit by a train. I almost got hit by a train because I'm working and then I have to now run from work, get on an airplane to go work somewhere else. I couldn't afford to let any of that go. And I remember drifting, well, I, don't, I didn't remember it. I woke up to it. I drifted over some train tracks and I had all these people beating on my door. They thought maybe I had a heart attack or something. They didn't know what it was. And what happened was I drifted right before the train came. They said it was a sheer miracle that that train did not hit me. And you know how you sit at at a light or sit at, like, I'm just going to close my eyes for a minute because I was so tired. It was one of those. And it was at that moment that I realized that I had to change something Mm -hmm. because I'm stretching myself so thin I literally was living off a five-hour energy, um, getting my sleep. Uh, I I called it, it would be the the quick sleep where I'm leaving work at one in the morning. I'm starting at 7 a.m. I'm doing all these people. And then I would go home and I would sit in the bathtub and close my eyes for like maybe an hour. And then I would stand up and take a shower and go right back to work because I had to be right back at like six or seven o'clock in the morning. And I knew that it had to be a better way. And It was also a customer that said something to me, which let me know I needed to shift. She said, Nikki, I've come to you since you started and I've never seen you do what you do for the money. But you basically you don't care about the integrity of our hair. You're just doing whatever. You're literally just adding on to the ticket and you are treating us like little walking dollar signs. And it hurt my heart so much that my frustration was actually being revealed in how I was servicing people. I was known for great customer service. And I so appreciated that she was close enough to me that she could be honest with me and let me know that I was not operating correctly. So it was in that phase that I knew something had to change. And so I set up what's called this transitional plan. Uh, And I actually teach this plan at shows. It was a one-year transitional plan. This was obviously pre-social media. So I didn't have social media to help me. And I showed, I learned myself, and I now teach people how you can set up a one-year transitional plan. Now you can do it in like three, four months. And set up your whole business where you can wean your way out without losing $1. And I set that plan up, and I got to exactly where I needed to be. I was able to cut back days. So by the time I got to the end of that plan, I was able to cut out Saturday. That was what really changed my life. And then I kept moving. I kept teaching and moving. Nice. Um, So there's like, uh, okay, so that we got, we got the context, we got the background. Uh, There's some things in there. I just want to like, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the, what I just heard was for like those people listening, uh, just kind of like give it like condense it into a synopsis here. It sounds like you 
um, you know, burnout, which I feel like a lot of people can relate to. Uh, that was that's one thing. Also, seeing how like hearing from other people how you're how you're 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 not what they expected. Like this customer telling you that you're focused on money more than you are the what like it's different now. Like why are you, you go from being like a passionate hairdresser with great customer service to someone who's just trying to make money? I feel like a lot of people could relate to that because I know that I could. Um, and also like. You, so you're feeling all these feelings and um, you, at some point you make a plan, you sit on it for four years until you get the inspiration to actually make the move. Uh, also, something else I, I want to kind of go back into is like you were talking about when you were younger, uh, being surrounded by people who were having certain type of conversations. Uh, so like surrounding yourself with the right people sounds like a mess. It sounds like a really big message in there. You know, even if you didn't get it when you were a kid, we could, and I have done this, like make a big transition from changing my friends and the people I spend my time with trying to like incorporate more uh, like-minded individuals who have or, or have what I'm shooting for or are on the same path that I'm on. Um, so I love that message. Uh, and then I think, I think, what I would like to do to like kind of wrap this up is hear what you have to say about a person who is in that place where they want to make a change. Uh, they, or they have a plan like you did, but they're not pulling the trigger. And um, like, what advice would you have to that person who is either, who either knows that something needs to change or knows that they want to make a change. Cause like burnout, there could be a whole work-life balance conversation there. Uh, it doesn't have to be a career change conversation, but for those people who are looking to make a, make a change in their career, since we're talking on the business side and, and stuff like that, um, are not necessarily change a career, but they just have a plan, whether that's to open a salon or go out on their own for the first time, uh, from, a, from a, being an employee or, or, or do something like what you're doing, like that, that friction of making that move. Um, what piece of advice would you give them or like insights would you have to share with them? Um, yeah. I want to start off by saying my ex-mother-in-law used to always use this statement and she would say to me, if God didn't think he, we were going to make mistakes, he wouldn't have put erasers on pencils. <laughs> and I, I love that statement. And I tell people that is the place that you have to get to. You have to get to the place where you're OK with making a mistake. If it happens, it happens. You have to restructure how you view failure. Because that's where the fear comes in when people have these great ideas. They want, they, they've even done the due diligence with getting the information they needed, but they haven't pulled the trigger yet. Fear is part of the process. Embrace it. Embrace it. Failure is part of the process. There's a book also that John C. Maxwell makes called Failing Forward. You have to change the way you view messing up. And this is the number one piece that people have to get to, you have to become a person that is immune to what people think of you. You have to develop that tough skin and say, I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I don't care if they think the idea is stupid. If you believe in something that strongly, you have to do it no matter what. And, and if it messes up, okay. 
everything well, that goes wrong is the lesson in it. You have to embrace that. People want to run from that. Success is hard. Failing is easy. Once you fail something, it's easy to stay in that space. There's nothing required of you. But to be successful and to be successful constantly, you're going to have to not care about what people think. You also have to be careful who you share your ideas with. You can't just tell everybody what you're planning on doing. I believe anyone in that space needs to find that one or that find a group, find a meetup, find an organization, get connected with people that will celebrate your ideas, that will celebrate uh, uh, where you're trying to go. You want to be the dumbest one in the group. When you start doing that, when I started teaching money classes, that's when I really found what I'm saying to be true. If you are running around and you're appearing to the world that you have this financial success, get around people with real money. They will make you realize that whatever you think you're doing, you're not. And they will literally help you propel to that next level. So the first thing is embrace, embrace that you're going to make some mistakes. Just embrace it. Don't even run from it. Embrace that some things you start will fail. Most successful people today are not successful in what they started in. They didn't evolve 15 times into something else. Every mistake, take, sit back, reflect on it. What do I need to do different? It's always go back and I reevaluate my life like every week. I have this period that I sit down and say, no noise, no TV. And I say, okay, did whatever I do this week, did it work? Did it work? Did I learn something? Um, what, how are these experiences kind of reshape my ideas? I do it often. Some people don't ever do it at all. So you gotta embrace mistakes, be okay with failing. You gotta get out of that people pleasing mode and only doing what's politically correct. First of all, the world works off of a nine to five system. The minute you decided to be an entrepreneur, you defied the system. So you're going to have to defy it with some other things. The world doesn't operate off of an entrepreneurial path. They operate things open at a certain time. They close a certain time. That's why things are on the weekend, because the whole world system is set up for people that get a check and that they literally work on that system. When a lot of ideas don't fit into the world's plan. And the biggest thing is you got to be consistent. You got to believe it and you got to want it bad. You got to want it real bad. So. Believe it, failure is part of it. Quit trying to please everybody. Recognize that fear can just be a a platform for you to continue building. You got to get around people who celebrate you and you have to be careful about who you share your ideas with and you have to never, ever, 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 I don't care how bad it is, you have to never quit. Never. That's good. I don't care how bad it is. Don't ever quit. That's good. Um, uh, I know we're uh, running a little uh, long here, but 